This is Hashtag History, episode 42. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And we're going to get real personal real quick. Oh. Y'all ready for this? (laughs) Yeah. I know it is totally, totally possible and very probable that we have brand new listeners tuning into this episode. And if so, hello and welcome. Hi. We're so happy to have you here. We are. Yes. But I also think that there is a high probability that someone listening to this episode has maybe been with us for a little while. Probably. Yeah. So I think by season five i'm going to dive into some personal info about me myself and i outside of the podcast okay so i got married partway through last season fyi leah did i tell you that what yeah news to you yeah wow okay Okay, that's a joke anyway so alex and i we were engaged for about a year and a half and had been planning our wedding for a year and a half when covid happened and we had to downsize our wedding by like 90 percent and have a very small intimate ceremony why do i bring this up pourquoi Because if you know me at all, when you hear what we are discussing in this week's episode, you are going to be like WTF, Rachel, right? Yeah, that might. Well, I knew why. I knew why. (laughs) But in any other circumstance or universe or whatever, it, it makes no sense. Why? Yeah. Okay. Because this week we are discussing Joe Lewis versus Max Schmeling. And did I ever think I would ever cover a couple of infamous boxing matches on this podcast? No, I did not. And did you ever expect that? No. When I saw this topic, I was like, hmm. (laughs) Because my very supportive and very intelligent now husband has been suggesting this topic pretty much since the beginning of this podcast. And I kept putting it off because it's not exactly up my alley. But then shortly after the wedding, when we were honeymooning at home, because that's what COVID couples do, (laughs) he got me to watch a documentary about this. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I instantly was like, we need to cover this on the podcast. I never thought I would say it, but I am so, so, so excited to be covering these infamous boxing matches in today's episode and how and why these particular matches are so important to American history. So this episode is a dedication to my husband, Alex. Congratulations. You were right. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's recorded and you can hear me saying you were right. (laughs) I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History, the podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike, where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. All right, guys, are you ready for this? Y'all ready for this? I can't stop. (laughs) Um, This week's cocktail is called, I'm getting right into it. It's called the Brown Bomber, which was coincidentally the somewhat derogatory nickname of U.S. fighter Joe Lewis. Lewis? Lewis. Lewis. Uh Who Rachel will be talking about a lot today. Yeah, pretty much 90% of the time. Yeah. (laughs) So this cocktail contains two ounces of Tennessee whiskey. Yeah. Then Lillette Blanc, or if you're poor like us, uh, a sweet vermouth will suffice. And we have sweet vermouth from many, many cocktails. Season one, guys. <laughs> All of season one, we have vermouth. And, but we still have it left over from season one, because that yes. tells you how much we drink sweet vermouth. <laughs> yeah. And then also Sue's liquor, liqueur, mm-hmm. which is very hard to find. Um, and then 
Rachel did some digging and found out that you can substitute it with Campari. We think so. We think. It, it was very difficult to find it. And the one place that I did find it, it was like 25 bucks and we literally need half of an ounce of it. So I was like, there's no freaking no. way. And so, yeah, I found on like a Reddit thread she went deep guys yeah and so i I mean i really don't know so i mean i I think i mean it can't it already has vermouth in it so it really can't get any worse (laughs) okay i mean truly yeah and then you garnish it with a lemon twist but i didn't want to just waste a whole lemon just to get a twist on these glasses so again keeping it real with you guys we're always real so according to an article i found on dinner a love story.com love it which we will link on our website this cocktail was given joe lewis's nickname the brown bomber not the most politically correct nickname i should add due to its considerable iconic strength mm. Mm. this is our second drink of the night which is made up of all liquor slash liqueur <laughs> yeah so. That kind of scared me right now. His iconic strength, like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> Got it. And earlier she was like, these drinks are so small. It's because they're literally all liquor. Yeah, there's no mixers to break it up or anything. No. Yeah. So this drink is not for the faint of heart, according to this website, or for those who tend to shout their opinions as opposed to share them. All we're doing tonight is sharing our opinions and yeah. maybe shouting. Yeah. Okay. But, but this article was actually really funny. So I recommend if anyone's at all interested, go check it out. It was pretty funny. I love it. Yeah. Um, strangely, I did find another cocktail also called the Brown Bomber, which contains peanut liqueur <gasps> and cocoa liqueur, which sounds super good but when will we ever use peanut liqueur again so i was like i'm not we could talk about jimmy carter in like next week's episode the peanut farmer oh yeah (laughs) we could change everything up let's every episode literally every related (laughs) yeah and actually if you guys have listened to the um most recent hasty history episode that we dropped about John Harvey Kellogg, um, he actually was maybe kind of involved in creating peanut butter. No. I didn't include that in the episode, but yeah. So, I mean, we we maybe could have done this. We should have coordinated and just pretty much had all peanut, peanut butter type episodes. And I mean, we could always just do this cocktail... I can, I can, I can connect anything to anything. Like, yeah. is it about dropping a bomb is 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 a future episode about dropping a bomb boom brown bomber <laughs> and we'll just drink yeah. it again i love it yeah i love it so yeah anyways, I, I, I support your decision with not going the peanut route but also that really does sound it amazing. sounds so good <laughs> maybe one day all right cheers we're gonna cheers. give it a, a rate and review oh. <laughs> do you want some <laughs> simple syrup hold on let me go again you cannot maybe i need to mix it more it's a drink that is bad and (laughs) it leaves your mouth dry after right it's pretty bad if you it's listen, ca- it's our two least favorite things: Campari and and vermouth. If there was gin in this, that would be our that would be the worst drink we'd ever had. Yeah. Um. In last week's episode, we did a drink that we were confident was going to be disgusting because it was vodka and 
Jaeger and coffee liqueur. We were confident it was going to be gross. That was about a zillion times better than this cocktail. And I mean, because we we were shocking. It was shocking how good that one was. I mean, I wouldn't say it was good, but it wasn't bad. Yeah. You want to just chug it? Yeah. You want to just both of us chug right now? Yeah. Okay. 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 Here we go. Chugging. Remember when you said it was so small? It Let's doesn't do- seem small anymore. No, it doesn't. That's exactly what it is. It's the aftertaste that's really bad. And both Campari and Vermouth are very dry slor- and very like floral. I think they're described like they, they have like floral notes. Yeah. And it's like <coughs> dry flowers. <laughs> it's dried flowers in your mouth. We said we were going to chug and we only got maybe halfway through the glass each. Right. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Okay. Second round of chugging. I'm going to vomit. Please don't. You think Tux would like it? Tux? Tux from Beyond Reproach. Would you like this cocktail? Probably. He's more sophisticated than us. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Well, you don't know. No, it wasn't a failure because at one point tonight I wanted to taste a disgusting cocktail. No? And it just didn't I end didn't... up being the cocktail that I thought it was going to be. I wanted to taste a not great cocktail. You didn't want to taste a vomit cocktail. I didn't want to taste a cocktail that will have me vomiting in my toilet at 3 p.m. tonight. <laughs> 3, 3 p.m.? Tonight. 3 a.m. tonight. It already hit you, I yeah. see. <laughs> I wish it. I wish. I well, wish. Ho- it better be worth it. Give, That's give all it, I have to say. Give it a second. Give it a couple minutes right around the time when I get up to go to the bathroom. I will know if it has hit me. Okay. Oh, Okay. Okay. Well, that was a bomb. That was a bomb. That <laughs> it was a bomb, guys. That was definitely a bomb. <laughs> Not the bomb. It was. <laughs> Not the bomb, but it was a bomb. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Like not, how they not describe the bomb.com. No, but more like a bomb at the box office. Have you ever heard of that? That's what I'm thinking of. Not like, hey, you're 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 you the bomb. bomb. No. No. More like the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. <laughs> AKA my stomach. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you make this noise. <laughs> oh my god. More like more like the punch out on Hiroshima. That's not funny. That's not funny. <laughs> Why am I crying? <sighs> oh my god, that really hurt. <laughs> You know why? That's it's not I, funny. You know why? It's because I could see it on a t-shirt. <laughs> oh, shit. That's maybe the most I've laughed in. Actually, since quarantine started. Yeah, so. Actually. Okay. Are Do we you want to go pee first? No, I actually all of a sudden You're over it. Okay. <laughs> I, I released you, liquid you. somewhere else. Is that what you were going to say? Yes. I released liquids from my eyes. Pee. Yeah. I cried out my pee. Okay. Let's talk about this because this is such a cool episode. Okay. Okay. Okay, so why do these boxing matches that we are talking about today matter? Why? 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 We are technically today referring to two separate fights, both between professional boxers Joe Lewis and Max Schmeling, that occurred in 1936 and 1938. And might I add right here that saying Schmeling several times this episode is going to be very difficult. Especially since that drink hit you fast. And these fights would symbolize a whole lot more than just a boxing match. 
because Joe Lewis was an African-American athlete during the 1930s. During the Great Depression in America, when Black Americans were oftentimes the last hired and the first fired, where Black Americans faced unemployment two to three times more than white Americans, where Black Americans were preparing to serve the United States in the Second World War, but in segregated and discriminated units. In any other time, Joe Lewis might not have reached the level of nearly nationwide love and admiration that he did if his opponent had not been Max Schmeling, a German at the height of American hatred of all things Germany, all things Adolf Hitler, and all things Nazi. So... Let's dive into Joe Lewis first. I've uploaded a picture here. This picture is from 1946. So it's a few years after the Lewis versus Schmeling fights. But I think it's my favorite picture of Lewis. So that's why I used it. He's a little cutie. Yeah, he's cute. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, it's a black and white photo of, of him. He's an African-American wearing boxing gloves shirtless. If you ladies want to check out those abs. <laughs> um but yeah yeah just a good looking yeah african-american man yep who's obviously a boxer i would hope so (laughs) since he's wearing the gloves and the shorts yeah and no and no shirt you know and and also no shirt so he was born joseph lewis barrow on may 13th 1914 which woohoo two months before world war one began so that's cool yeah (laughs) anyway he was born in alabama as the seventh of eight kids His dad was committed to an insane asylum when Lewis was only two years old. His mom remarried and moved the family to Detroit, Michigan. It's around this time period that several black American families moved from the south to northern industrial cities. In fact, between 1916 and 1918, 400,000 black Americans made this move. Many black Americans that moved to Detroit in particular found work at Henry Ford's company for $5 a day the equivalent of a little more than a hundred in today's money. Of course, there was still a lot of workplace discrimination. Blacks were generally given the more dangerous jobs in comparison to their white counterparts, but the Ford company provided opportunities black Americans didn't see elsewhere. In fact, Ford employed more black employees than any other major industrial company at its time. Lewis's brother and even Lewis for some time worked at the Ford company while living in Detroit. Also while living in Detroit is when Lewis began boxing. Lewis was a pretty shy kid and suffered from an unfortunate stammer when he spoke. Getting involved in boxing at the local rec center helped him build up his confidence. He dropped out of school and in 1932 made his official boxing debut at the age of 17. So I've learned a lot about boxing and boxing technique, both in my research of this episode and in listening to my husband talk about it over the past few years. Uh-huh. Yeah. Even Lou- I've learned something from yeah, your you, husband. You, I know. I feel like every time I've come over, if if no one's actively watching something on the television, boxing is on. Yeah. Oh, that's every time. And I it's come- like a fight from 1993 or that's something. That's every time I come over to my house. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Lewis was considered by some to be a near perfect fighter. I watched this really great PBS documentary about Lewis in which a historian said that Lewis's claim to fame was his punch and the power behind it. He said, you can train people to be good fighters, good footwork, defense, intelligence in the ring, but you can't make someone a great puncher. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I've tried punching things before. (laughs) 
I've tried punching walls, never left holes. I mean, like, no, we used to have a punching bag. Oh, I see. No walls in the, <laughs> no, no holes in the wall. But no walls were no injured walls in the making. Were injured yeah. In, yeah, this episode. But yeah, there's zero power. I can't, yeah. I can't do it. Well, and especially as a boxer, you have to have the right power, timing, and coordination to be a great puncher. Thanks, and that's Alex. What, thanks, Alex. <laughs> that's what Lewis was. He was a great puncher. It's also around this time that Lewis dropped Barrow from his last name, going professionally as Joe Lewis. I always wonder how parents feel about that. About dropping the name? Yeah. There's there's so many different stories about him dropping the name. One of those stories is, we don't really know. that It's all speculation. One of those stories is that he dropped the last name because his mom was not super jazzed about him being a boxer. And so he didn't want her to like see his name in highlights and stuff mm. uh, and know like, oh my God, that's my son. And then there was also this other story, which there's zero evidence of this. It's just a rumor that has gone on throughout time is like he struggled academically. He mm-hmm. struggled. He had a stutter and he dropped out of school when he was young and something about like he filled out an application to do a particular match and he didn't really understand like where you put your last name, where you put your middle name, where, whatever. And so all he put was Joe Lewis. And so that's what he was like forever known by. Mm, okay. I don't know. It's all speculation. Either way, we know him today as Joe Lewis professionally. Got it. In his two year amateur career, his record was 50 to three with 43 knockouts that's crazy crazy obviously he started to get noticed as he was making his way into the professional realm but to be a professional boxer he needed a professional trainer bookmaker john ruxborough and boxing promoter julian black eventually convinced jack blackburn a former fighter turned trainer to take on lewis i am i am (laughs) do you know what i'm talking about i am i am what is that from um nacho libre (laughs) which starring jack black ramsey's number one he's got the secrets of desire (laughs) this wasn't an easy feat as a black man himself that had struggled to book fights as a boxer Blackburn wasn't interested in training Lewis because he felt it was a waste of his time that no one would give a black fighter a chance. But Blackburn needed the money as a washed up alcoholic and convicted murderer. Oh, yes. And over time, he grew to have a fondness for Lewis. But he warned Lewis of the hardship he would face trying to break the color barrier in boxing. He's quoted as telling Lewis, you got to let your right hand be your referee. Between Blackburn, Roxborough, and Black, they gave Lewis very strict guidelines for how he was to behave. As a black man, they knew that he would have to do everything that much better and work that much harder. They gave him seven commandments that he must follow. These commandments included never having his picture taken with a white woman, never to gloat over a fallen opponent, never to go to a nightclub alone, and to live and fight clean. So you and I are in a book club, Leah. We've talked about this before on the podcast, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'm sure we've mentioned it. And the most recent book that we read was Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. And so the particular commandment of never having his picture taken with a white woman really resonates because in Just Mercy, Stevenson, the author and attorney, tells the story of defending a black man named Walter McMillan who was sent to death row for killing an 18-year-old white woman with absolutely zero evidence. But the one thing that the Alabama cops had on McMillan, the one thing that bears absolutely zero relevance to the murder, 
is that McMillan had previously been involved with a married white woman. In 1986, Alabama, which was not long ago at all, a black man involved with a white woman surely translated to him being a criminal and a murderer. Stupid. Yes. If you haven't read the book Just Mercy, please do. But just having recently read that book and then doing the research for this episode, it just really stood out to me. Lewis had to be above any speculation. Prior to Lewis, Jack Johnson had been the only other black heavyweight champion. But he was known for flirting with white women and later married a white woman. Whoa, Jack. (laughs) Hey, Jack. He was also known for taunting his opponents. There's this iconic story that Johnson was driving at 80 miles an hour down a road that had a much lower speed limit. So a cop pulled him over and gave him a $50 speeding ticket. Johnson gave the cop $100 instead because he told him, I'm coming back the same way. Pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Pretty also, funny. yeah, if you're going 80 miles an hour in 1930-something, that's probably twice the speed limit, if not more. Yeah, absolutely. But I just love that he, like, gave the cop, like, like here's 100 bucks because I'm going to do the exact same thing when yeah. I come back the other way. Yeah. He lived a really lavish lifestyle, and he flaunted his worth. This all made Johnson very unpopular amongst white spectators and meant that for the next decade, black fighters would have to fight, no pun intended, to even get into the ring. Although boxing was not officially a segregated sport, whites did all they could to keep black competitors out. In light of all this, Lewis's people were determined to give Lewis a completely different narrative and image than that of Johnson. They told him it meant nothing that he was a great boxer, one of the best boxers of all time, if he posed any kind of threat to white society and dominance. He had to be seen as quiet, as non-threatening, as a Bible reader. Essentially, he couldn't be too black. On July 4th, 1934, Lewis made his professional debut in Chicago against Jack Kraken. There's a lot of Jacks. Excellent point. So many Jacks. So many Jacks in this episode. Jack Hope y'all Blackburn, are... Jack Johnson. We've even brought up Jack Black, the actor. Jack Kraken. Yeah, hopefully y'all are keeping track of the Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis knocked him out in the first round. Lewis would go on to win all 12 of his professional fights that year with 10 of them by knockout. That's crazy. That's crazy. The following year, he fought another 13 times. Racist Americans held out hope that there would be a white contender, but those hopes were dashed because Lewis was just too good. By 1935, Lewis was considered to be the number one contender in the heavyweight division. So obviously, for all of these many, many accomplishments, Lewis goes down in history. But it's actually two very specific fights that officially put his name in history textbooks. And that is what this episode is all about. The Joe Lewis versus Max Schmeling fights. Schmeling was a German boxer. Let's check out a quick picture of him before we continue on. That's him? Yeah, that's Max Schmeling. So he doesn't look very Aryan to me. Really? You think so? Yeah, he almost looks like... Yeah, I guess you have a point. He has very, like, dark brows uh-huh. and dark hair. Um, I just wouldn't picture him as, like, the picture. You were expecting blonde and blue I was eyed. expecting blonde and blue eyes. Yeah, excellent point. But I was expecting the guy from Rocky. Uh, what's his name? I wouldn't know. 
from t- Rocky married Two Married to a box enthusiast. Don't tell him. I'm going to tell him not to listen to this part of the episode. Oh my god. That's fine. Dolph. Dolph. Dolph Lundgren. Anyway, I would agree with you that Schmeling isn't necessarily like blondie, blue-eyed. But, but I mean, he's, 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 he's a white. white guy. He's white. Yeah. 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 He first came to New York in 1928, but was largely ignored by the boxing community because he was an immigrant. Despite not receiving much notoriety, he fought well and quickly rose in ranks. In 1930, he fought American heavyweight Jack Sharkey in a match that would determine... Okay, she's holding her hands up. I guess there is another Jack. I should do a control find all Jack. There's so many Jacks. Like, was everyone named Jack? To be honest with you, I didn't even notice this when I was putting this episode together. We should, at the end of this, do a control find for how many Jacks are in this script. Yeah. Okay. So he he fought Jack Sharpie. Sharpie. (laughs) (laughs) He fought Jack Sharkey in a match that would determine who would win the World Heavyweight Championship. Schmeling would end up winning the title and would become the first of many. Number one, the first European boxer to win the title in 33 years. Number two, the first from Germany to win the title. And number three, the first to win the title due to a disqualification. During the course of the match, Sharky struck Schmeling below the belt. Every time you say Schmeling, I'm like, it sounds like you're just slurring the word smelling. It's it's not easy if that's what you're implying. It's not easy to say Schmeling. Every time before the word comes up, I'm like, I thoroughly enjoy it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Continue. <laughs> Schmeling went down and called foul. The fight was stopped and Sharky was disqualified. This meant that Schmeling automatically won the championship. As I'm sure you can imagine, winning under circumstances such as these became a huge joke. Yeah, which sucks. Like he's if he made it that far, he has to be a good boxer. Excellent so it point. sucks that people probably like made fun of him for the oh. rest of his career. Oh yeah. No, he became known as the low blow champion. Yeah. A few years later, Schmeling would rematch Sharky and would lose in an extremely controversial, narrowly split decision. Regardless, Schmeling had made a name for himself amongst Americans. This didn't necessarily become a bad name, though, until a year later. The year was 1933, and the Nazi party had taken over Germany. Many began to view Schmeling as an extension of Hitler and Nazi party ideology. We know that Schmeling had very recently married a woman known to be part of Hitler's inner circle— And although Schmeling never explicitly stated that he was part of the Nazi party, we have pictures of him with Hitler. You can Google Schmeling and Hitler and see pictures of them together. When I researched him, it literally like, you know, it shows like their or their country of origin and Uh it shows the flag and it showed the Nazi flag. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was very, very, very closely associated with them. Yeah. Because in addition to all of these things, he also was giving interviews in America at this time in which he portrayed Germany in a very positive light and denied allegations of hate crimes and cruelty being committed in his native country. Even though we know at the same exact time, Hitler was calling for a ban on all Jewish businesses. This Nazi lover image really followed Schmeling around here in America in fact, in June of 1933, when Schmeling fought Max Baer, an American heavyweight, Baer, who was not particularly religious but was Jewish, showed up to the fight with the Star of David on his shorts. And Schmeling was defeated in this fight. Mm. 
Schmeling returned to Germany and was considered at this point to be somewhat of a has-been, washed-up fighter. So when a match between Schmeling and the undefeated Lewis was scheduled, everyone was confident it was going to be an easy win for Lewis. This is literally the plot of a Rocky movie. I don't remember which one, but it's I'm not joking. I believe you, but God, I watched Rock like the first Rocky when I was a child with my dad, and then I Nico. Away. I never watched them, and then Nico made me watch every single you enjoy one them? of them Did before you enjoy them? Creed Two came out. Um, I didn't hate them. <laughs> Well, yeah, so I, I guess maybe now I need to watch the Rocky movie. I mean, if you're married to a proclaimed you're right. and if boxing I am, lover. If I am quarantined. What else have you got going? Other than watching a lot of Catfish. After I finish Catfish, maybe I'll watch a Rocky movie. Okay. okay, But there's a lot more Catfish to go. So much Catfish. So much Catfish. I love it. There's speculation that Lewis, too, expected it to be an easy win and therefore didn't train quite as much for this fight as he typically would have. In addition to this, Schmeling spent a significant amount of time studying tapes of previous Lewis fights, trying to see what he could use to his advantage. He watched every available film over and over, rewinding, fast forwarding, watching in slow motion. Could you do that with film? Yes, you could. Okay. And he ended up finding exactly what he was looking for, a small defect in Lewis's style. Like I mentioned earlier, Lewis was a powerful fighter with an excellent jab. In fact, historians say he had the greatest jab in boxing up to this point. But he did have a defect. And that defect was that right after jabbing, he would bring his hand down to his waist as opposed to bringing it back up to protect his face. And this was something Schmeling took advantage of. On June 19, 1936, at Yankee Stadium in New York, Lewis and Schmeling faced off in front of a sold-out crowd. Whoever was the victor of this fight would go on to challenge the world heavyweight champion. The fight was a really, really big deal. On one hand, you had a German that represented everything that Americans hated about Hitler and the Nazis. But on the other hand, you have a black man born and raised in America that, despite having faced racism daily by white Americans that did not want to see a successful black fighter, found themselves supporting his rags to riches story as they were coming out of the Great Depression and also this symbol of nationalism and pride in the face of another world war. The match started off pretty well until the fourth round when Schmeling struck Lewis on the chin, causing him to fall down to the mat. This was a huge deal. This had never happened to Lewis before in any of his professional fights. Schmeling continued to take advantage of the fact that Lewis always brought his jab down to his waist instead of protecting his face and continued to land punch after punch. In the 12th round, Schmeling hit Lewis's body and then immediately thereafter hit him in the jaw. Lewis was knocked out and defeated. This was the first time Lewis had ever been knocked out. The thing about boxing is that it is an incredibly unique sport. You can have all the assets of an incredible boxer, the footwork, the powerful punch, but a hit to the body, to the liver, a hit to the face, it doesn't matter who you are. You can only take so many punches like that. So when Lewis was struck like that, he went down and couldn't get back up. Americans were devastated. There are eyewitness reports of men and women in the streets just crying. Okay, that's sad. Sorry, I was yawning. (laughs) 
This is so boring. No, no it's, it's the you alcohol. Made me, and I you know. made me cry, so my eyes are like I tired. Know. I know. But no, it's devastating. The black community was especially hit hard because Lewis was their hero. As I'm sure you can imagine, though, Germany had the complete opposite response they were ecstatic yeah. hitler himself had flowers sent to schmeling's wife with a note in which he called schmeling our greatest german boxer when schmeling returned to germany he received a hero's welcome with thousands of germans lining up for miles to greet him Jeez. yes hitler ordered for the lewis versus schmeling fight to be shown in theaters throughout the country prior to the featured film and had the fight named schmeling's victory a German victory. Oh my gosh. Schmeling was feeling pretty good about himself. He had received the redemption he so desired after having been the butt of a joke for so long after his low blow victory. I mean, I'm not going to feel bad for a German, but that does suck to be the butt of a joke. Yeah, he was the literal. When, like, you literally won. Something. He was the literal butt of the joke, though. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, Lewis's defeat changed him. He left New York and went back home where he hid his face. The media response was despicable, calling Lewis a fraud and that he had been a phony the whole time. The, the media was horrific. That's really to terrible. Lewis. They were horrible to Lewis. That's like calling a flippin' like Olympian a fraud because, because they didn't they want lost the gold. One. Right. It's like you're still the top of your like but you don't made you see that Olympics. don't you see that today though that like, like they oh, get silver. You got silver yeah yes yeah. it's true it's yeah. stupid but still you were one of the greatest in the entire world yeah yeah schmeling high on his victory wanted to take on the world heavyweight champion to see if he could take the title the world heavyweight champion at the time was a man named james braddock does not, that name sound familiar to you yeah but Leah? it's not jack no it's not jack um james braddock, james braddock. i know it's in your brain somewhere it's all right. <laughs> Cinderella man, Cinderella man. Thank you, Eminem. Cinderella man, Cinderella man. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Eminem. She's got it. James Braddock is the fighter depicted in the 2005 Cinderella man movie played by Russell Crowe. Technically, since Schmeling had won the Lewis versus Schmeling fight, he was next in line to contend for the World Heavyweight Championship against Braddock. But Americans didn't want this they didn't want someone that they considered to be a nazi to have a chance at taking the title they didn't want hitler to be able to claim that victory promoters knew that a lewis versus braddock fight would be more profitable they had been told that if they dared to schedule a schmeling versus braddock fight that it would be boycotted by jews and thus they scheduled for lewis to take on braddock instead for the first time in more than two decades a black american fought for the heavyweight title on june 22, 1937 things looked a little rough at the beginning when braddock knocked lewis down in the very first round but in the eighth round lewis knocked the cinderella man out so badly that he would have to be carried to his dressing room he hit him so hard that one of his teeth slipped out from behind his mouth guard and went through his lip <laughs> <laughs> Joe Lewis became the new heavyweight champion of the world, becoming the first black man since Jack Johnson to attain the title. I also, every time you say Jack Johnson, I think of... The singer? The singer. <laughs> I know. Mickey banana pancakes. Pretend <laughs> like it's a weekend. <laughs> I love it. And while this was an incredible feat, there was still something left undone. Schmeling was pissed about how the Braddock fight had been snatched from him, and Lewis, too, refused to consider himself the world champion until he had the opportunity to fight Schmeling once more and defend his name and title. 
And so a rematch was scheduled for June 22nd, 1938. If their first fight had been a big deal, it was nothing compared to this fight. This fight was seen as more than a boxing match. This was nation against nation, a Nazi against an American, the white man against the black man, which of course is bullshit because with this match, Lewis was thrust forward as this representative of democracy when we know that black men and women could not vote, did not have equal rights, and black men were segregated within the armed forces that they joined to defend a country that refused to defend them. Well, not to mention, like, he was literally blacklisted because he lost a boxing match and, prior and was, to this. And you it know? was so difficult for him to even get to that point. But now all of a sudden he's thrust forward as this, like, the star, free nation yeah. and this democracy, which, like I said, we know is bullshit. Lewis, in his 1976 biography, said of the fight and the expectations placed on him, I knew I had to get smelling good. I had my own personal reasons and the whole damned country was depending on me. What a weight on your shoulders. It's a I, boxing match, but the weight of the country and the world yes, is on your shoulders. I can't imagine. He, he was right in this because the way Americans looked at it, they had a choice. It was either the white Nazi or the black American. All but the most hardened racist backed Lewis. So here we are on June 22nd, 1938, back at Yankee Stadium with more than 70,000 attendees. Can't imagine that right now. That's, oh no, right now during COVID times. 70,000, that's like. You and me hanging out, two of us in the same room is a big, big deal. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Another 70 million tuned in to listen to the fight on the radio at a time when there were only 130 million people in the United States. That's insane. That is insane. That's more than half of the population is listening. I just can't picture and nico does he, he'll like listen to baseball on the radio sometimes if the game's not being like broadcast on just TV. listening to it yeah and i'm just like i can't i can't imagine it, it's it's the way that the commentators like have to very much be like and this happened and then this happened and then they have to keep you like on top of it but all the time even if there's a fantastic commentator i'm still like i don't care yeah because visualizing it's not yeah the same. exactly yeah. People that were watching and listening that night say that they knew the direction the fight was going to go within the first 30 seconds. Lewis came out in full force. Within seconds, he had hit Schmeling so hard in the kidneys that Schmeling actually screamed. Check out the picture that I've uploaded here. Um, People that were there that day and that were listening still say like that sound sticks with them for years and years and years. It doesn't look great. No. I mean, he looks like he's in pain. Well, yeah. I mean, he's being punched in the f***ing abdomen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he literally let out an audible scream. That doesn't happen much during boxing. No. Lewis defeated Schmeling in less than one round. Oh, that's embarrassing. Yeah, that's a burn. This fight was different. This fight changed America. A Schmeling defeat felt like a Nazi defeat. Schmeling losing felt like Hitler losing. And for the first time, blacks and whites were united in their celebration of Lewis's victory. When Schmeling returned to Germany, he was forgotten. Hitler wanted nothing to do with him and never met with him again. Oh, I know. I'm just kidding. I have no sympathy. Oh, for I was like, I know. And I actually felt empathy. I mean, I do. I'm an empath. Like, you feel for that guy that was like Hitler's best buddy a couple years ago, two years ago, and now Hitler wants nothing to do with him because he didn't bring his country honor. 
Schmeling would go on to fight a few more relatively successful fights, never again in America, before retiring from the sport to begin work at the Coca-Cola company in Germany. He would later go on to become an executive of the company, owning his own plant and becoming pretty wealthy. Having never officially associated himself with a Nazi party, he actually said of the fight years later, looking back, I'm almost happy I lost that fight. Just imagine if I would have come back to Germany with a victory. I had nothing to do with the Nazis, but they would have given me a medal. After the war, I might have been considered a war criminal. Lewis would go on to defend his title until 1941 when he was defeated by boxer Billy Kahn. Lewis then joined the army, defending the United States during World War II. Lewis was relegated to a segregated unit and would face racial discrimination daily. Just before he had entered the service, he donated over $65,000 worth of his money earned from fights, what would be the equivalent of $700,000 today, to the Naval Relief Fund. And over $450,000 of his fight money, about $500,000 today, to the Army Relief Fund. And then he would go on to serve in the Army for pennies a day. What was clearly done out of the goodness of his heart would turn around to bite him. After leaving the army, he had feared he would have enough money from his fights to live a comfortable life. Instead, he would be hounded by the IRS for back taxes. New tax laws had been imposed that he hadn't paid attention to. Because of his hefty income during his fighting years and the income tax percentage imposed on someone with such a large income, he owed the IRS $500,000. He couldn't claim the money he had given to the relief funds or any of the other charitable donations he had made. It's just, it, I was doing like a lot of research about this and it's just basically how much money he was making a year. Like the people that in the margins that make the most amount of money have to pay the higher income tax and the income tax changed percentage changed. And at this time he wasn't paying attention to it for his uh, salary margin he owed like 75 to 90% of his income in income taxes. And he didn't know that. Oh, crazy. Crazy. He had to return to fighting just to make ends meet financially. He negotiated a deal with the IRS in which he agreed that all net worth made from his fights would go directly to the IRS to pay off his taxes. It's fucking heartbreaking. It really is. Even though Lewis had been out of the ring for a few years at this point, he did pretty well. But you could tell he was getting older and his body was worn out. That makes me sad. No, it's so sad because this is a man that was like in his prime, stopped fighting to go serve. And donate all of his money. And donated money. And then had, was forced to return to fighting to pay back the IRS. On October 26, 1951, his decline was sadly showcased. Fighting against up-and-coming 27-year-old Rocky Marciano, Lewis just couldn't keep up. They would go back and forth with Marciano winning some rounds, Lewis winning some, but Marciano would eventually defeat Lewis in the eighth round. Everyone was devastated, including Marciano. Marciano went back to his dressing room after the fight and cried. Nobody wanted to defeat Joe Lewis, the American legend. Lewis's story is so tragic because you have a man that became a symbol of democracy for a country that did not treat him equally, a man that served his country in the Second World War, again, a country that did not consider him an equal, all to end up in massive debt imposed on him by that same country. It's devastating. I'm like tearing up. I know. It's devastating. What's a little heartwarming to hear is that Lewis and Schmeling would actually go on to develop a friendship in later years. 
Schmeling, having become wealthy from all that Coca-Cola money, would send Lewis money from time to time to help him get by. When Lewis ended up taking up a job as a greeter at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas, Schmeling would fly out on an annual basis to meet him. And when Lewis would pass away from cardiac arrest at the young age of 66 on April 12, 1981, Schmeling would help pay for his funeral and would even serve as a pallbearer. I don't know why this one's hitting me hard. It's hitting hard because it's like a devastating story of a guy that was obviously a really amazing person that was f***ed over by the United States. Lewis is remembered today as one of the greatest fighters that ever lived. He would defend his title as world champion for a consecutive 11 years and 10 months, which is still a record to this day in the heavyweight division. He was inducted into both the Ring Magazine Boxing Hall of Fame and the International Boxing Hall of Fame. He opened doors for black athletes and united a nation during a time of depression, war, and tension. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share the pictures that we discussed on this episode to our Instagram and all sources used to put together this episode can be found on our website at hashtag history pod.com. As always, if you guys enjoyed the episode, do us a favor and subscribe to Hashtag History on whatever podcast platform you use, share it with a friend, and give us a rate and review. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Hashtag History underscore podcast. We are always doing some super fun stuff on there, including contests, live streams, and... Trivia nights. And trivia nights. Yeah. That's our new jam, guys. It's our new thing, and you guys are awesome and showing up and having a great time. Also, if you guys are looking for a way to support the podcast, you can always check us out on patreon.com slash hashtag history. You can donate a dollar a month over there to help us with our booze and books supply. And you can also support us by heading to our website and purchasing some really cool merch. We mentioned this in our last episode, but we have a seasonal merch store, which we really think you guys should check out. It has a lot of designs that come from like quotes from our favorite episodes and, and they're stuff. so cute yeah and it comes on face masks mugs shirts tote bags everything everything i love it yeah all right well thank you all so much thank you bye bye y'all ready for this <laughs> why do we sound like chicken <laughs> The more I talk, the worse it gets because the taste is still in my mouth. And as I'm talking, my tongue is moving the taste around. <laughs> True story. Like, ugh. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to pee my pants. Just go pee. No, I want to hold it. <laughs> it was a glass with a mushroom cloud explosion. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I cannot. No. 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 Oh, no. no. Don't you know? Don't you know? I a lot because, okay, now I'm feeling drunk. This whole episode's gonna be a drunk episode. That shit bothers me. I feel drunk. Fossil. I was gonna tell you, okay, this is gonna be a crying moment. You ready to cry for a little bit? You're gonna actually maybe cry. Cause I might cry. Um, I already told Alex I'm picking up Jack in the Box on the way home. I didn't eat dinner because I told him we're getting Jack in the Box. So what I'm saying is I can't be drunk. Fast food. <laughs> what a killjoy. <laughs> During the Great Depression, when America, ooh, dur- oh, f- we're on page two. <laughs>
is um, I've had diarrhea since Easter's. That's my favorite because I talk about having diarrhea all the time. Yeah. Okay. We Where do. was I? We do. We do. Uh, okay. Uh, don't even. No, it's just because it's silent for so yeah. long. I know that. Like, kudos to that person for saying it. Because, like, your husband and best friend would never tell said you. Anything. Yeah, she was like, it's so funny how you do that. I was like, what the f? See, whereas I, if even if I asked Nico to do that, I'd be like, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was having like a weird like at the same time. I know exactly what you were having. It wasn't a burp. No. It was, it was an almost one. burp. It was an almost. Have you been doing your exercises? <laughs> no, that's a, that is a perfect example when Alex says, have you done your exercise? I'm like, <laughs> that is a perfect example because he's told me like during this quarantine, I really think this is a great time that you could like do your exercise. And I'm like, who the f*** wants to lay on the ground and do like 30 of these a day? I do not want to do that. Yeah. Okay. Good example. What's the difference? I don't know. I don't know.